show. We read the telegram so you don't have to. I'm Will Thomas. And I'm Hannah Parker. A possible threat at Huguenot High School brought Richmond police to the scene this morning and sent the school and a nearby middle school into lockdown. Nothing was found following the possible threat, which parents reported online was a gun in the school. Many parents are upset that they found out about the situation from social media before the school alerted them. Two more names joined the growing list of staff turnovers during the Trump presidency. Late Friday, the president tweeted that Andrew McCabe had been fired from the FBI just two days before his planned retirement. The tweet states McCabe knew about corruption at the FBI and was similar to former FBI director James Comey, who was fired last May. The president also announced Secretary of State Rex Tillerson will be leaving the administration and replaced by CIA director Mike Pompeo. Gina Haspel, the current deputy of the CIA, will replace Pompeo. Some Richmond City Council members want the Redskins to cover the cost of their Richmond training facility and its upkeep during training camps before they renew the deal that keeps the Washington football team's training camp in Richmond. Ninth District Councilman Michael Jones told CBS 6 that taxpayers shouldn't be footing the team's bill. Ultimately, the Economic Development Authority negotiates the the deal between the city and the team, but city council hopes to influence their decisions. The deal with the Redskins doesn't mention their mascot, which many call racist and offensive, but another sports team with a Native American mascot is changing. Incoming Hall of Famer Jim Tomey, who spent 12 seasons with the Indians, says he would like his plaque in Cooperstown to feature the Cleveland C instead of the Chief Wahoo logo. I found out more about a major change with Tomey's former team and more about the use of Native American mascots in sports. This year, the Cleveland Indians made the decision to discontinue using their Chief Wahoo logo on their uniforms starting in the 2019 season. This decision comes as many teams have come under fire in recent years for the use of Native American mascots. The University of Utah, Central Michigan University, and Florida State University have all successfully appealed their names to the NCAA, and just last year, the Washington Redskins won their trademark fight for the team's name. Last June, the Supreme Court made a decision that a federal law banning trademarks that may disparage people is a violation of the First Amendment. The Redskins, whose training facility is here in Richmond, celebrated this decision. Redskins owner Dan Snyder has been quoted as saying he will never change the name of the team. The American Civil Liberties Union voiced support for the Redskins when their trademark license was revoked, and Charlie Schmidt talked about the ACLU's position. We feel very strongly that offensive speech and hate speech is still, you know, protected speech in some regards. Darren Brown of Cheyenne and Arapaho Television talks about the response of Native American mascot use. We bring up words like prejudice or even racism. Ignorance is often at the root. Ignorance of Native American culture is on display almost every day at any number of athletic events nationwide. Teams who have been able to retain their names have cited good relationships with local tribes in their appeals. For VCU News, I'm Will Thompson. As professional teams like the Indians made the change to stop using the Chief Wahoo logo on their uniforms, they still own the trademark. There are hundreds of other Native American mascots in use across the country, including more than half a dozen in the NFL, MLB, and NHL. A fourth bombing in Austin has residents on edge and police searching for a serial bomber. An explosion Sunday night in a residential area was triggered by a tripwire. The blast injured two men in their early, in their early 20s. The earlier bombs were package bombs delivered to homes in a different area of Austin, killing two and injuring two. Police say the newest device 
bore similarities to the earlier three. Because the first three bombs were detonated in neighborhoods with many black and Hispanic residents, some have theorized that they were hate crimes. The bomb this weekend, however, targeted random pedestrians, and the two victims were both white. Puerto Rico is dying. That's the hashtag Richmond photographer Stephen Casanova is using to describe Hurricane Maria's aftermath. Alan Rodriguez brings us more on the conditions Americans today are facing in Puerto Rico. Like many Puerto Ricans after Hurricane Maria, Stephen Casanova's art exhibit lives in darkness. Shine a light and you will find a Puerto Rican flag laid out on the floor. Dressed in FEMA uniforms, Stephen and his peers fold the flag as they mourn the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Not only are people dying, but the entire culture, island, infrastructure, economy, social, everything is crumbling. Despite making landfall last September, the effects of the hurricane are still being felt. The things that are just horrendously happening are not, not hitting the media at all. Professor Anita Nadal says a lack of coverage is hindering the efforts to heal Puerto Rico. And you're not hearing about it in the news, no one's talking about it, so everyone just assumes that everything's okay now. But this couldn't be further from the truth. When you went there, it looked like a forest fire had come through the entire place. It was completely brown, all the leaves are gone, like everything was just turned on its head. It felt like you were in a different world. Yet somehow, it still feels like not many people in the states are talking about this issue. As a matter of fact, this lack of awareness seems to go beyond the hurricane. 46% of U.S. citizens did not know Puerto Ricans were also U.S. citizens. When's the last time you flipped on a light switch or had some clean drinking water? For some people in Puerto Rico, it's been over 150 days. Nadal says that this crisis has been a wake-up call. Se nos han abierto los ojos. Our eyes are open now. That false sense of security of how the U.S. is going to take care of us and everything's going to be okay, we're U.S. citizens, that was totally demolished. At his show, Stephen raises money for those who lost their farms to the hurricane. If we are to rebuild Puerto Rico, we have to start with a strong foundation, and that's investing in the land and investing in the people that work the land. Nadal will continue to make a difference in the best way she knows. Educate the public and help them to see that it's still a tragedy and they still need help. For WVCW News, I'm Alan Rodriguez. If you want to help Stephen raise money for the Puerto Rican farmers who have lost everything, visit youcaring.com slash La Brigada. A federal appeals court will hear a legal battle over the storage of coal ash, a byproduct from burning coal. The Sierra Club sued Dominion Energy over their storage of the ash. A federal judge ruled last year that arsenic is leaking from the pits where the ash is stored, polluting water but not posing a threat to human health. The judge said Dominion violated the Clean Water Act. Dominion is appealing this ruling. Virginia will hold a tornado preparedness drill Tuesday at approximately 9.45 a.m. The test alert will be broadcasted on weather radios and all TV and radio stations. After three years of fighting, a bill that would have allowed immigrants to obtain driver's privilege cards failed in the Virginia Senate again. State Senator Scott Suravel, along with a group of 50 people from the DMV, wrote the 80-page bill. Suravel says there are about 400,000 undocumented people in Virginia, creating a huge need for driver privilege cards. If 400,000 people were to file a tax return claiming $35,000 of income, that generates about $1,700 of income taxes per person. The pro-immigration group CASA in Action has been working alongside Senator Suravel for the past three years in hopes of helping the immigrant community in Virginia. Our community has been discriminated against. 
just because of our color of our skin and not having a use a document. Driving from place to place might seem like a mindless task for some, but for many Virginians, this simple task could mean serious jail time. Lopez is now fighting for immigrant driver rights, but she has battled her own personal struggles as a DACA recipient. I've been there too, and not being able to have a driver's license and not being able to go and pick up my, my daughter from school is something that uh, is very frustrating. Since the bill failed on January 25th of this year, members of CASA in Action and Senator Saravel are searching for new ways to get the bill passed. But Saravel is pessimistic about how the political climate surrounding the topic of immigration is impacting the bill moving forward. The issue of immigration has become so heavily politicized, it's become very difficult to um, get some of my Republican colleagues to consider coming over, even if they are sympathetic. For VCU News, this is Han to keep updated on the progress of the bill, check out Saravel's blog, The Dixie Pig. We're going to take a short break. Up next, we'll hear some of the Commonwealth Times Forum on gun violence. If you enjoy One Credit News, you should check out our daily podcast, WVCW News Headlines. Every morning, we cover four stories you need to know for the day. Find it on iTunes or Google Play under WVCW News. You're joining us? for One Credit News on WVCW. If you're just joining us, I'm Hannah Parker. And I'm Will Thomas. Friday, the Commonwealth Times hosted Beyond the Politics, a forum on gun violence, hosted by managing editor Fidel Alassane. We'd like to play a portion of that forum that focuses on the definition and meaning of the Second Amendment. I want to get started by introducing the panelists. Um, I'll start with John Augenbaugh um, from VCU's Political Science Department. Agenbaugh teaches constitutional law and public policy courses at VCU, and he was formerly at Virginia Tech. He has presented at a number of academic conferences and has, and has public law entries published in various academic encyclopedias. Lori Haas from the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. Haas is the Virginia State Director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, the organization which advocates for the right to live in communities free from gun violence. Her daughter was shot and survived the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007, prompting her efforts to promote awareness to the issue. Jessica Smith is with VCU's Wilder School. Smith is a doctoral student and a graduate teaching assistant right here at VCU. She formerly worked for the state as public safety initiatives coordinator at the Attorney General's office uh, and as the school campus and public safety resource specialist at the Virginia Center for School and Campus Safety with the Department of Criminal Justice Services. Philip Van Cleve is with the Virginia Citizens Defense League Incorporated. Van Cleve joined the, the VCDL in 1995, a year after he was founded. He is now the president of the organization. The nonpartisan grassroots organization works to advance the rights of Virginians to, bear, to keep and bear arms. Van Cleve has made a number of appearances on national television, including CNN and The Daily Show. When you talk about regulation, the conversation, I guess, is kind of made uniquely complex in America because we have the Second Amendment. And I'm not sure if that's 
something that's unique to Americans. It, and maybe, uh, Professor Agi, this is something you can speak to. Is is the second? Can you talk about the history of the Second Amendment and why? Let's start with why the. Because I have several questions about it. <laughs> Let's start with why. Why did the founding fathers include that in the Bill of Rights? Let's start first. Start with uh, how unique is the United States in regards to legal gun ownership? And the the, the first distinct, distinction that most constitutional law scholars make is um, uh, those nations that allow for uh, legal gun ownership for uh, personal defense. And there's basically three in the world, uh, the United States, Mexico, and Guatemala, okay? To your question about the history, uh, and depending on which historian you ask, which constitutional law scholar you ask, the answers are gonna vary. But if there's one commonality among those who go ahead and say that the framers intended for an individual right to uh, possess and bear a firearm. Um, it was rooted in the notion that throughout the colonial experience with the British Crown at various times, the Crown either threatened or actually required that the colonists disarm themselves. So it was viewed as a mechanism, as a, a possible way to respond to uh, overtures or entreaties or impairments by the British Crown. Like I said, it's a debated, okay, disputed uh, notion among historians and constitutional law scholars. I know some of my fellow panelists might argue otherwise. I'm just saying based on my research and what typically um, uh, I use in regards to teaching the Second Amendment, okay? Um, it, why is it complicated? Well, in part, the U.S. Constitution doesn't come with an owner's or operating manual, okay? And there's not a glossary of terms that goes ahead and says, this is how this amendment should be interpreted. So if you look at something like the Second Amendment, which has a prefatory clause, which some have read to uh, require that before you can have a gun, it's because you are a part of a militia, well then individuals owning and uh, bearing a firearm is only for that purpose. However, as many of you are well aware, that's not the view of the current Supreme Court. First starting with DC versus Heller in 2008, and then the companion case in 2010, McDonald versus Chicago, the court has made it very clear by narrow votes, uh, narrow major majorities, five to four in both cases, that the court is interpreting the Second Amendment as uh, legally protecting an individual liberty uh, to uh, bear and possess a firearm. In both opinions, first Scalia's and D.C. versus Heller, and then Alito's and McDonald versus Chicago, there is explicit language that acknowledges that this liberty like almost every other liberty that the court has found or acknowledged in the U.S. Constitution, may be regulated. Reasonable regulations are allowed by the government. 
So then here's where it gets complicated, Fidel. What is a reasonable regulation? Um, as I've noted in other fora, uh, the United States Supreme Court has not taken another Second Amendment gun case since McDonald versus Chicago. So the court has basically left it to either the lower federal appeals courts or the state courts to decide what are or are not reasonable regulations. Some of those courts have gone ahead and said that uh, weapons like the AR-15 uh, are not protected by the Second Amendment. Other courts have said, well, yes, they are. How does this complicate policymaking? Well, I think, and I'll just start this off and then you know turn to my uh, fellow panelists, but if you're in California and you have a state legislature um, that uh, is interested in gun control, you're going to get one answer. If you're in, say, Texas, you're going to get a different answer. And because we're not getting clarity from the court in regards to what may or may not be reasonable regulations, okay, that adds to the policy complexity, which then begs the question, well, should then the United States federal government get involved? Okay. Here's another one, and my fellow panelists just mentioned this. Scalia mentioned in D.C. versus Heller, there was an individual right to defend oneself in one's home. But we've had appellate courts since D.C. versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago say, well, what good is it to defend yourself in your home when you spend a good portion of your time away from your home? So if it's defense that the court was seemingly acknowledging as the primary purpose of the Second Amendment, your right to defense should follow you no matter where you go. Yeah, the, um, the Second Amendment is in the Bill of Rights. Those are not rights, those are not powers given to the state. States have powers, we have rights. Um, and uh, it's all about rights. It's about your right to free speech, your right to, to practice religion, your right not to have your uh, property taken from you without due process, uh, your right to a jury by trial, and in there is, is, is the Second Amendment. It's uh, unless our founding fathers were really uh, having a stroke at the time, they, they, they where they stupidly put something that's a collective right right in the middle of civil rights for individuals. Uh, it just seems to me that that uh, kind of settles, settles it right there. But again, as the professor points out, the, the courts have been wildly uh, different on this. Now, in the case of, of DC versus Heller and uh, Chicago versus McDonald, the court will answer, and correct me if I'm wrong, the court will answer the question asked. Now, and that's what they do. So if you're asking, can a person have, do they have a right to have a gun in their home? The court's going to answer that question. They're not going to typically give a formal answer about anything else. They stay focused. Now, they do have dicta where they, they, they kind of point out some other things that they're kind of thinking, like maybe, again, maybe an assault rifle is something that could be uh, regulated um, where other outside of the home or even in the home, but that's actually that's dicta. It's sort of their thinking on it gives you an idea of where they're, where they're heading with something. But um, anyhow, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, it would be nice to have. We're America, you know. We've got 50 states. They should all be running under exactly the same laws. And right now, 
um, it, it's, it's dramatically different. And mostly it's, it's state laws that make the difference too. If you think about it, it's easy, it's easy to get a permit in Virginia as long as you're not a criminal. Try and get one in Maryland, try and get one in DC, try to get one in New Jersey. Um, you know, you can open carry in Virginia without a permit, try to open carry in New Jersey and see what happens to you. So that's a shame, and hopefully at some point we'll get the, the uh, Supreme Court to actually go ahead and just come out and just, you know, lay out the, the law. We've seen um, that they're not just, um, you know, you can't, untouchable. That typically when there is, and specifically when there's a um, public safety concern, they, um, we, the federal government or the state government can step in and act um, to restrict those rights anytime there's a, pu a genuine public safety concern. Um, and so that's, you know, where this comes around, um, this topic, especially if we're going to talk about school, um, how to protect schools. And um, so The hour-and-a-half-long forum covered other issues with gun regulations and the problem of mass shootings in the United States. You can listen to the entire forum on iTunes under our show, One Credit News. Tuesday, a jazz orchestra will perform in the Siegelton Center at 8 p.m. Tickets are free with VCU student IDs. Wednesday, in the Richmond salons of the Student Commons, there will be a science and health career fair from 2 to 5 p.m. Science and health organizations offering internships and jobs will be in attendance. The 26th annual French Film Festival is this Thursday through Sunday at the Bird Theater. All films have English subtitles and are followed by question and answer sessions. Tricycle Gardens will be selling produce at the corner of Marshall and College Streets on the MCV campus from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Thursday. The event will continue weekly through the growing season. Friday, the Cabell Library presents Copyright for Creators, where participants will learn about when and how to ask for, per to ask for permission to use others' works. The Flamenco Festival at the Siegelton Center is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with performances from Latin Ballet of Virginia, VCU alumni, and flamenco guitarists. Tickets are free to students and $15 for community members. That's our show for today. All our shows are available on iTunes and Google Play under WVCW News, where we also post our daily news update podcast with four news headlines in under two minutes. Visit our page at wvcw.org for daily news and longer stories, and follow us at WVCW News on Twitter for breaking news. Thanks for tuning in to One Credit News.